God, we're so thankful for the chance to read your word, be encouraged by stories that are familiar uh, to us in some ways and unfamiliar in other ways. God, we pray for our time as we look at the life of Abraham, at least part of it here, and um, I just pray that you would encourage us with your presence and just remind us that you're with us. God, Prepare us for what you have for us to do this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, Genesis 12. As you know, we, uh, we've been in a series called Casket. We've got the little guides out there for you to reference and pull out and stretch across a couple of tables and see where we're landing today. Uh, if you have noticed and looked at the... Uh, casket guide that we provided or whatever. I'm not following exactly along with this. I'm not like presenting it exactly as it's shown uh, in there, but we are hitting a lot of what is there, and I think it's still a great guide and outline for us as we sort of get our bearings as to what we're talking about and where we're at in the larger picture of God's plan, uh, because the truth is it's, it's one plan uh, to redeem humanity through uh, God's Son, Jesus Christ, um, and there's many, many stories and ins and outs and ups and downs for us to learn from and see that plan unfolding. Uh, so I'm really glad to have that resource, and hopefully it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, today we find ourselves in Abraham. Last week we finished up what's called the primeval history of uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, forming really the table of nations and the spread of humanity across the earth, uh, not at their own will, but at the will and uh, prodding of the Lord in spite of their efforts to stay in one place. Uh, and, and so today, really, we're starting to see God choose out one of these many nations and say, this nation is mine, uh, that being with Abraham and his line. At this point, he's just Abram, and in Genesis 12, we find that he is in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, there are two Urs in Middle Eastern history. Uh, one is south, very far south, near the Persian Sea, or I think it's the Persian Sea, uh, down south, basically. Um, and that's Ur, the famous Ur of that time. And the reason here it is distinguished that that Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldeans is because this is the lesser known Ur that is a little bit further north uh, is our understanding. So, um, so we find Abram there near the end of chapter 11. His uh, dad's uh, generations are described there in 11 verse 27 and following. And what we find out from that brief passage, verses 27 to 32 of uh, the end of chapter 11, are, are a couple of things that are pretty important. Uh, first, that Abram is Terah's son, and they're in Ur of Chaldea, and uh, Terah had moved from the south up toward Haran uh, and had stopped there. And we find out also that he was actually on his way himself to Canaan, uh, pr presumably to maybe go to the land that he was supposed to go to, but stopped, stopped along the way. Um, and so they're in Ur of Chaldea. We also find out that uh, Haran, one of, his, one of Terah's three sons, uh, had a son who died named Lot. And so 
we also find out now that Abram is going to take care of Lot, who's, uh, sorry, whose dad had died. Uh, Haran is Lot's dad who died. And, uh, and Abram is now taking care of Lot. We also find out from that brief passage that Sarah, uh, Sarai at this point, is barren. She can't have any kids. So these couple of things, background information for the beginning of Abram's story, are given to us. Very important pieces of information, because at this point, God comes to Abram and gives him a promise that given that background that you just heard is uh, kind, of, uh, kind of difficult to process. So Genesis 12, 1 to 3 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see a few promises given by the Lord to Abram. Abram, whose wife is barren, is going to bear nations. Okay, there's a first difficult promise to figure out when you're 75 and, and your wife is already barren. You're, you're going to father nations. This is God's promise to you. You're going to leave your father's house. Uh, you know, I know that you're taking care of, you know, your, your brother's son, but now you're going to go ahead and take your brother's son and, and get out of here. So leave all this comfort and support that you have for you and your son and go somewhere. I'll tell you later where. <laughs> Hebrews speaks of, uh, speaks of Abram this way and says, By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." Throughout the story of Abraham and starting today, what we'll see is this is true of him. Abram knows whose he is and where he belongs is with his father in heaven. And in this section and the next and the next, we'll see that his sole concern is to please his father that is in heaven and nothing else. So today we see two things. The Lord spoke and Abram went, is the first thing, sorry, (laughs) sounded like the two things. Uh, The Lord spoke and Abram went. And the second thing we see is that it wasn't easy, but God was there. I think as we look through these chapters, verses, or chapters 12 to 14, that's what we're going to see. The Lord spoke and Abram went. Without any real confidence in how things were going to pan out. 
Again, I mean, you hear those promises. You're going to be a father of great nations. I'll bless you and protect you, and I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And you don't know where you're going. You don't know how your wife's going to have children, and you've got, like, other families, other family members that you're taking care of. Not an easy promise to be like, okay, Lord, yeah, let's do this thing. (laughs) But he goes. And, you know, when I think about Abram, I think, I think of what the New Testament says of him, like we read here, that, okay, by faith he went, and it just was awesome, right? He was righteous in God's sight, and it just, it worked out. But when you stop and, like, walk through some of these stories a little bit slower, what you see is, actually, he went, and it wasn't easy, it was downright messy, but God was faithful, In this short few chapters, we see four different stories occur. First, we see Abram being obedient to the call to go. It wasn't easy, but God was there. God tells him to go and says, I'll show you where you're going to go. In each of these stories, we're going to see the Lord show up and confirm and reconfirm and reassure Abram that in spite of the uncertainty of what is ahead, that he is with him. So chapter 12, God gives these promises to Abram. Go from your country, your kindred, I'll show you where you'll go. Uh, Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and at the time the Canaanites were in the land. So the land that God directs Abram to go to is occupied happens to be occupied by the lineage that was cursed by Noah. (laughs) Abram passes through this land, and when he arrives to this land, which he did not know when he was to stop or where he was to go, simply daily walking to it, you know, it's easy to read a chapter and feel like, oh, it just like happened, you know, like the next day they were there. But imagine, like, two whole families and their households and cattle and land and possessions just slowly moving through the land. And finally, God's like, okay, yeah, this is the spot. Yeah, there's a lot of people around here, but this is yours. At that point, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I'll give this land. So Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him there. First step's not easy, right? He doesn't know where he's going, but he trusts God, and he goes. And when he gets there, he didn't know when he was going to stop. But God is faithful and shows up and said, hey, this is the land. You've, you've, you've arrived. Thank you for coming, <laughs> right? This is all yours. Problem is that there's people in the land. And, you know, 
contrary to maybe what we would hope would happen if you arrive to the land that God is giving you, you know, that maybe he would just go and give it to you. God doesn't give it to you. And instead of giving it to you, actually what happens is a famine comes. And so instead of getting to stay in the land that God just told you is like, hey, this is your land, you're actually driven out of the land by circumstances. So we get to the second uh, portion of chapter 12, where we see this story of Abram and Sarai going down to Egypt. Abram and Sarai arrive in Egypt. I think uh, it's really easiest to read this one. I'm not going to read all these, these chapters, but I am going to read this section. It says this, verses 10 to 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. That is the land that God just gave him, right? Or just told him was his. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men uh, orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now typically, we read this passage and say, Abram, you're a big fat liar. And like, what are you doing? You're obviously this entirely flawed individual that, uh, that has really screwed this thing up and told someone that your wife was actually your sister. Well, first of all, if you read the text, right? Verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Put yourself in that scenario for a moment. All right, I am patriarch of this. And, uh, you know, if I die, who is providing for Sarah? What happens to the line that God has promised me? Sarah is taken in by Egypt, and I'm dead. I've been forced out of the land by a famine. What am I supposed to do? It's not as easy as just saying, oh, Abraham, you're... He's a liar. He really messed up right here. He really just uh, put Sarah in danger in this, in this scenario. The truth is, it's a choice between two really bad decisions, or really, really bad options. Either, Abram says, this is my wife, and as his, his, his interpretation of the events, which we have to rely on, is that if I tell them that you're my wife, they will kill me. So our understanding from God's word is that the scenario is Abram knows his culture better than we do. 
recognizes that should he disclose that Sarah is his wife, Abram will die. Not a good scenario for him, obviously, um, but also for his family and also for Lot and any of their family. So he goes with the other option to say, okay, I'm going to tell him that you're my sister, which is technically true in some ways. He's half-sister. So there is a relation there. It's not completely untrue, but it's not exactly, right? He says, you're my sister. This, based on the assumption that surely if they know that you're my sister, will at least have the understanding that you will you know, engage in some sort of conversation with me before proceeding to any, you know, marriages, which would be typical of the time. That's not what happens. Instead, when he tells him he's my sister, she's taken into his household as one of probably many wives. Again, as we've seen in previous passages, it, it isn't Abram that gets judged It's Pharaoh that gets judged. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Whether Abram made the right decision or not, I can't really tell you. What I do know is that Pharaoh crossed the line because he's the one afflicted. He's the one that plagues are brought on by the Lord for his actions of taking Sarah into his household. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. At this point, Pharaoh does realize something's wrong and reaches out to Abram and says, hey, what, like, what gives, man? <laughs> Going isn't easy. But his whole household is spared through this. It's messy. We don't fully understand all the cultural implications of it. But they're preserved. And Pharaoh recognizes the hand of the Lord in his household. This is the first time, right, that a Pharaoh in Egypt realizes that there is a powerful God that will send a plague into my house if I mess with these people. Pharaoh gave orders concerning them, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. It wasn't easy, but God was there. Again, we see, okay, they've, they've returned from the famine back to the land, and when they arrive to the land, they get there, and, and Abram says to Lot, he says, hey, you know, here's, here's the land we're going to go settle, and they settle back where they had uh, back near the oaks of Mamre, where they had originally built an altar. Um, and as they're settling there, they continue to grow and grow and grow. And as a result, their herdsmen, again, I don't understand how this exactly works because I wasn't a herdsman back then, but the herdsmen start to get into conflicts. They're too close to each other. They're, they're you know, running into each other too often. Their herds are crossing paths or, you know, whatever. And so there's some sort of conflict between the herdsmen. So in the midst of this, Abram says to Lot, okay, you choose one way, I'll, you know, I'll, take, 
I'll take the other. You, you go over there or over there, and, and I'll go the other direction. Let's separate. Let's make sure that we're taken care of. So Lot chooses uh, the direction of Zoar, uh, verse 10, which is uh, near where Sodom and Gomorrah is, which we'll find out more about later on. And Abram uh, settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settles among the cities of the valley and moves his tent as far as Sodom. Probably not an easy decision for Abram to do that, to separate from his nephew who he's been watching over for years. And it's at this point that the Lord comes to him again and reminds him. I mean, could you imagine, okay, you've gone through this, you've gone through Canaan, you arrived to a place God gave you, a famine came to that place, you escaped to Egypt, by the skin of your teeth, bring your family out of Egypt without any harm, uh, come back to this land, get in conflict with your nephew, and now have to separate from him because of that conflict. You might be thinking to yourself, this whole blessing to the nations thing uh, doesn't feel very great. <laughs> like if you had received the promise from the Lord, I'm going to make you a great nation, bless your name and make it great, you'll be a blessing, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. Okay, you saw that maybe with Pharaoh, you're seeing some of that fulfilled here and there, but it isn't quite like just victory upon victory upon victory. It's more like conflict after conflict after conflict. So chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord says to Abram, comes to him after Lot had separated from him and says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Again, no son, still. No prospect of children, still. And God says, the dust of the earth, they'll be as the dust of the earth and all this land I'm giving to you forever. You haven't defeated one Canaanite at all. You are now near your 80s, but it's yours, all of it. By faith. There's nothing more to describe it than by faith. Abram walks forward. So it turns a corner there, right? Like everything gets better now that the Lord has said, I'm going to give you the land. No. It just continues this road. The next thing that happens, uh, the majority of chapter 14, and I'll read portions of it again, is that basically a whole bunch of kings get in a big old fight. Two set, one set of kings against another set of kings has nothing to do really with Abram or his nephew Lot in terms of their possession. It just happens to be they're in the same land. So one set of kings is defeating the other, and while so defeating, they take Lot with them. They take him and his household with him. So now this nephew of yours who you've taken responsibility is taken up in the arms of war, not as his own um, 
doing, but is just simply taken, probably because of his wealth. He had so much. Verse 12 of chapter 14. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and they went their way. Then one who escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite. When Abram heard this, that his kinsmen had been taken captive, this man in his 80s, again, I mean, it was younger then, the, you know, 80s then must be like 40, right? I don't know. Um, he led forth his trained men, born in his house. Just get an idea of how many men are in his house. 318 of them went and pursued them as far as Dan. So among you know, Abram's control, his household is big, basically. He's got a lot of herdsmen and a lot of people he can fight. Apparently 318. But probably isn't like the same as multitudes of kings. So he takes these 318 men, divides their forces by night. He and his servants go and defeat the kings and take back all the possessions and lot. This isn't an easy road. The Lord spoke blessing into Abram's life, but no part of it was just smooth sailing. It was conflict after conflict after conflict after conflict. But the encouragement to us is that in every conflict that we are in, in every conflict that Abram was in, in every situation that we're in, God is faithful and he is with us. He was with Abram at every single turn of this story. He was with him, I guarantee he was with him when Abram is deciding, okay, God, do I say that she's my wife or do I say that she's my sister? I don't think personally that Abram's just like, I'm just going to guard my own skin. I think Abram's the type of guy that has been seen through Scripture as one who is seeking the Lord's wisdom at every single turn. And I think he thought, the best thing that I'm supposed to do right now is say that's my sister. That may be a non-traditional view, but that's my view. <laughs> so feel free to disagree. Anyway, God is with him. It wasn't easy. It was messy and complicated, and God is with him. He's with him in the rescuing of Lot, and after Lot is rescued, one of the most like mind-blowing things that's in the Bible happens. This is really like, I, I don't really know completely how to explain this to you, but I'm going to do my best, so bear with me. <laughs> Melchizedek shows up. We actually talked about Melchizedek once because we went through Hebrews, and so we got to meet this individual, Melchizedek. It's said in Hebrews of Melchizedek, hopefully I can find it and uh, pull it up for you. Did I get it? Okay, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't put it up here. I did write it in my notes, though. Hebrews 7, verses 2 to 3 says in Melchizedek, And to him, Melchizedek, Abram apportioned a tenth, of, a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, the king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is, get this, okay? This is a man that Abram met after defeating the kings who took Lot, okay? 
He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither a beginning of days nor an end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. What? So Abram goes and defeats some kings and rescues his, his nephew Lot. Upon defeat of that king, uh, one of the kings who was on the side that benefited from Abraham, you know, bringing Lot back, was the king of Sodom. And along with Kedem, king of Sodom, was the king of Salem, that is Melchizedek. Back to Genesis 14, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Shedor Lamer, sounds like Lord of the Rings all the way through, right? And the kings were, who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shevet, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out, this sort of blows my mind too, I'm not, I'm, okay, I'm not going to say that this is a direct connection, but it is pretty ironic, right? And the king of Salem, Melchizedek, brought out bread and wine. Anyway, side note. He was priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him, that is Abraham, he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. What do you do with that guy? Where did he come from? Where did he go? You know? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. We only have like two passages that talk about him. If Abram had had any doubts yet, which he had cause to have, I would say, at this point, about what God was saying to him and what God was promising to him, man, God is faithful to encourage and strengthen. Hey, Abram, here's a guy who's a priest and who hasn't been born and hasn't, isn't going to die, is going to be a priest forever, and, and he is going to bring you blessing. Blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You probably didn't even know that someone knew the name of God Most High existed outside of this. God shows up. He was there. The best I can do with Melchizedek is, is say that, you know, likely some form of like angelic manifestation of a priest who left earth, but is still alive, didn't die. Similar to Enoch, who didn't die and just was with God. He probably came down and went back up. Like the appearance of an angel in physical form. Anyway, that's the best I can do. I really don't know how else to describe it. He didn't have a mother or a father, and he didn't die. So I don't know what you do with that. But So what does Abram do? Uh, Abram actually tithes to the guy. Abram gives him a tenth of everything. And Abram had a lot of things. So um, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. Okay, I said it was messy, and it was messy, and so I don't apologize. The Lord spoke to Abram, and Abram went. The Lord gave promises to Abram, and they weren't easy promises to hold on to. I think you might resonate with that.
the Lord spoke and Abram went. Be encouraged that just because it isn't easy, it doesn't mean that you're on the wrong road. Just because it isn't easy doesn't mean you're on the wrong road. Sometimes we have a knee-jerk reaction to difficulty and say, well, must have screwed this one up. (laughs) I don't think that was the case with Abram. I think he followed God. And God, in his way and in his timing, in large ways and in small ways, encouraged Abram that you are on the right road. You are going the right way. And yeah, it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy. It's not going to be easy. And it isn't easy. But I'm with you. So a few things to go with as we process just like the tip of the iceberg with Abram's crazy life and soon to be Abraham. Not quite turned that corner yet. God has spoken to us too. He's spoken to us through the blood of Jesus. He's spoken to you and to me. And he said this to you. I am a God who will give up my son that you may be restored to me. That's who I am. That's my character. I will give up all that is most dear, that you might come to know my Father in heaven, who is eternal, who loves you with all that he is. We hear it over and over and over and over again, and we become numb to that fact, but when you just like reflect on it for a moment and think, man, there is a God in heaven who created all things, who will bring a eternal priest into Abram's life and let him go back to where he came from without anybody knowing where he came from or where he went. This kind of a God. A God who will promise a land that's already inhabited. Who will promise progeny to a man who cannot have children. This is a God who has spoken to us and said, I will send my son for you that you may live. This is the word God has spoken to us. This is the type of people that he's called us to be. People who've been restored to God through Jesus. And our calling, similar to Abram, most likely is already before us. I mean, in Abram's case, God came to him at a specific moment and said, you need to go uh, to another land. I'll show you where that land is. And there are some in this room that resonate with that heavily because you were somewhere else. And God said, yeah, this is the next step for you. Move to Florida. And there's others of you that are in this room who've been in Florida for a long time. And this is still where you're at. Regardless of that, and, you know, God might come to you tomorrow and be like, actually, now you got to go over to uh, wherever. (laughs) Wow. Man, the Lord just spoke to Sandy's ear through Amber. That was weird. (laughs) Did you just kick out our only member? You're not even a member yet. What's the deal? (laughs) Our calling is before us, okay? 
Our calling is that tomorrow you're going to wake up and go to a job where you know people and love people. You're going to be working with your family through your day in and day out issues. Our calling is before us. And the word God has spoken to us is that you are to be a blessing. I want to return to what he said to Abraham back in chapter 12. I'll make you a great nation. If you go to the opposite end of the, uh, the blessing here, it says, uh, I got it mixed up here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll make you a great nation. And then in verse 3 at the end, it said, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I'm going to make you a great nation so that all the nations will be blessed. The reason I'm making you a great nation isn't for you just to be a great nation, but that all the nations will be blessed. This is another one of those A, B, C, B, A things. Okay, So the beginning, great nation, all the nations be blessed. Next, I will make, I will bless you and make your name great. That you'll just be great? No, that you will be a blessing. And it's not, this is an important thing, this is a command. It's, it's, it should read more like, I will bless you and make your name great, so go bless people. Not, you will just sort of passively be a blessing, but rather, so I'm going to make you great and bless you, go be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and dishonor those, and those who dishonor you I'll curse. That is, those who attach to you will know from where your blessing came, because it will so be ever-present upon you that you didn't receive it by some great might of your own, but rather through the Lord God Most High who made you this great nation to bless all the nations. And those who dishonor you will be cursed because they're ignoring God's provision and how God desires to provide in this life and say, no, uh, that's, that's crazy talk. Religion is old and dying. You know, those people are whacked out. Guess what? You're cutting yourself off from God's best plan for humanity to know and love him and glorify him always. Our calling is before us. The reason God has given you either, uh, you know, blessing materially or blessing spiritually, uh, overflowing with living waters, whether in manifestation physical or manifestation spiritual, the reason that God has blessed you, right, is not for you to keep it to yourself, but to share it with where you are called to go where we are called to go. Our calling is before us. It is to bless those around us with that which we have been blessed with. And if we've learned anything from Abram, it'll be messy. And it won't be easy. We might have to take 318 of our posse and go defeat some kings, you know? 
like spiritually, yeah, probably going to need to do that, (laughs) by the way. There will be trials, but God is with us. Just as he's with Abram, just as he continues to be with Abram, throughout this story as we go through it, God is with us. I was reminded as I was working through this of the passage in James, uh, James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you realize that what God did for us at the cross was provide power and authority over every single thing that comes our way, You are made perfected by every trial that comes your way. That trial might look like stewarding blessing. That trial might look like physical pain, emotional pain, loss and grief. If we are steadfast, in counting all of it joy, it will continue to make us perfect and complete. That's not an easy statement from James to hear. Count it all joy? All right. But we've seen it's true. We've all seen it's true. Abram saw it was true. All right, God, just go wherever. I guess I'll go this way first. Is that right? Yeah? Okay, we'll go left then. (laughs) He didn't know. He just started going. All right, Lord, we're going through this famine. This land you gave me, it's gone. Okay, uh, what's next? Count it all joy. Steadfastness takes a long time. calling is before you. Go boldly knowing that every trial that you face, God is with you. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you are with us. We're grateful for the name of your son, Emmanuel, God who is with us. Lord, we pray that um, we would be the type of people who would receive what you give with the understanding that what you have given is to be poured out. Not under compulsion, but out of joy. joy in sharing the character of our God 
Lord, help us uh, to trust you when it isn't easy. To know that you're with us and always will be with us. And help us not, Lord, to take the blessing that you've given us and just keep it. Help us recognize the gifts you've given us, the wealth you've given us, the comfort you've given us aren't just our own, but are ours to steward for your namesake. Help us to be a people that looks for ways in which we can bless the nations and so fulfill this promise to Abram that a great nation will come from you. A great nation that blesses all the nations of the earth. We thank you and praise you that as we stand here today, people of every, of many, many tongues come to know Jesus. Your church and your kingdom is marching forward. Help us not forsake the opportunity to be a part of that march. Help us go where you call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.